Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life that totally rocks. You're listening to Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS podcast for busy women who want to ditch the fatigue, find balance and feel great with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, a bloody amazing practitioner and a super intelligent human. She outnerds me on all things gut bug and microbiome and just quietly is one of my go-to phoner friends when I have a tricky question. So to my Zoom clients, when I say to you, I'm just going to check that with a colleague, it could very well be this woman that I'm calling. Her whole food cooking on Instagram stories is to die for, and it's lucky we don't live in the same town. Otherwise, I'd be on her doorstep every single night. She brings her knowledge as a nutritionist and her love of food together in epic meals with loads of veggies and gut-loving ingredients. Her love of feeding people healthy meals has even extended to her leading teams in remote parts of Australia on Indigenous health and nutrition projects, where their efforts saw health markers dramatically change in their sample populations after just one month's work in the field. But the reason I've got her on the show today is not really any of those things. It's because she wears another hat as well. You see, her absolute zone of genius is working with pregnant women and new mums to ensure a healthy gut microbiome through combination of diet, gut healing strategies, and the the right probiotics at the right times. And I want to pick her brain today about how to achieve better outcomes for both mums and bubs. We will cover a lot of terrain today, so pop your nerdy hat on, grab a pen and paper to take notes, and please welcome to the show the legend that is Emma Park. Woo! <laughs> Hi, Jules. Thank you. Wow, that was an amazing introduction. I was like, oh, I do all those things. I do do all those things. So, right. <laughs> yeah, and I am super passionate about all of those things as well, but I really, really love this topic because we get to, you know, improve outcomes across the board from pregnancy to birth to breastfeeding to infant and then, you know, that the lifetime stuff by working with gut health and microbiome. So it's really cool. Awesome. So tell me how and why you came to be so interested in this niche with Mums and Bubs Microbiome. How did it happen? Um, Well, essentially, I was already working in the microbiome and gut health space. And then I got a role with Chiara Probiotic, makes a breast milk strain probiotic. So specifically for pregnancy and breastfeeding mums and babies. And so I just really delved into all the research around that life stage and how probiotics and and how microbiome was influencing all of those sort of different outcomes in that life stage and yeah and so I've been doing the clinical education for that company for five years so I do clinical education for midwives and lactation consultants obstetricians and nats and and nutritionists and stuff and so yeah just really learned heaps about it and and also learned a lot about the maternity care system because with that role, I go to all of the professional conferences in that space, like in for the midwifery conferences, maternal child health nurses, so I, and Australian Breastfeeding Association. So I really learned a lot about pregnancy and breastfeeding and off really amazing experts as well. So I just kind of leveled up all my knowledge in that space and yeah, started working with mums and bubs. And yeah, it's, it's a really um, rewarding place to work. So what's lacking in our current maternal healthcare system? Because uh, when you rocked up into this space, it was a space that really needed to be filled, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so there's a few things lacking, um, especially about the microbiome essentially, like microbiome and how that relates to pregnancy and breastfeeding outcomes. The people that are care providers, mainly in that space like midwives, obstetricians, even, you know, shared care, GP, and even like, you know, doulas and support workers, they don't know about the microbiome. They don't even know what it is. Midwives particularly and OBs, they don't learn about it. You know, we started going to the obstetric conference about five years ago and they were like, probiotics, why are you here? You know, like, what is this? You know, there's no research on this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the truth is there is a lot, but it's like that understanding of how to apply it practically in that um, as care providers, they don't get taught that. So there's a real lack of knowledge about the microbiome, about probiotics. And also there's a lot of disempowering of mums that goes on in maternity care. So that's kind of potentially a whole other topic, but that's very, that's another thing I'm really passionate about is having, you know, mums being empowered about how their bodies work and how, um, you know, how being in touch with their bodies and how looking after things like gut health and their immune system and their microbiome helps to improve all of their pregnancy outcomes and also their birth experience, which then leads on to their breastfeeding experience and their mothering experience. Yeah, it's funny because when we talk about like empowering mums or empowering women who are pregnant, who are about to give birth, like we're always thinking about how to have a birth plan and how to have a good birth and have the right birth and and do you want drugs or no drugs and and do you you know do you want to breastfeed or not cesarean or no cesarean and then it, as soon as the baby's out it's about breastfeeding and lactation consultants and and are they latching correctly are they getting enough milk is you know so but we're not talking about like it just you just made me realize like you could go through that whole process from, you know, all the way through to having the baby and never hear the word microbiome or gut health or anything uh, until potentially it's too late. Like sometimes by the the first time that women are hearing, this is when something's gone wrong. Yeah, totally. And you also definitely don't hear gut health microbiome. You also don't hear mother care very much. So you don't, it is often, it's all about baby and getting the baby out and making sure the baby's, you know, Safe and healthy. Safe and healthy and yeah. that's all that matters. And this is something, that, and, and I've even said it to myself, you know, like, oh, well, you had an emergency C-section after a bazillion interventions and, you know, you had a really traumatic birth experience. Oh, well, the baby's healthy. That's all that matters. And that's not all that matters because birth experience is really, really important and that's something that doesn't also get talked about. So I, I sort of, I talk, you know, like I, do, I focus obviously a lot on the physiology of gut health and microbiome but also about that, you know, knowing your rights and having your choices and, and just being being empowered to have a better, we have, um, a, you know, a better outcome. One in three mums in Australia have a traumatic birth experience in our current maternity care system and, yeah, that's pretty shit, right? So yeah, it's, that is yeah, not okay. No, it's not, not okay. okay. So one of my big passions is trying to have this conversation, you know, around that optimizing your your gut health and microbiome but also just really really sort of impact being empowered in those decisions and before you get to it before you get to that point where you come once you're in the birth you're it's such an epic event it's such a full-on you know and and not stress is the wrong word it's just huge it's massive right so it's like you don't you can't be making decisions and being questioned and doubting yourself and all that once you're there you need you know you have this preparation phase so yeah and there's 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 a lot of um more awareness around that now as well which is good there's lots of courses you can do and 
um, resources for mums to to get onto. But it's it's certainly one of those things that I try and get onto it early. And the same with gut health and microbiome. The earlier we can get onto it, the better. So talk to me about some of the things that can be influenced by having a good uh, microbiome and good gut health in the mum. So if, say, if you go into pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding with a healthy microbiome, what are, what are the, the outcomes potentially? So from even from conception, so microbiome and the reproductive microbiome. So this is a really new field that's getting um, that's getting looked at now and researched about the, you know, the vaginal and the um, the whole reproductive area having its own microbiome, and how important that is for that to be healthy, so that that body side is healthy for you know for conception and then for healthy pregnancy outcomes. So if you've got a healthy microbiome, you're gonna that fetus is going to grow well, that you're going to have better outcomes like going going to term, like not having preterm birth. So early gestation and preterm birth, like having an unhealthy microbiome is a big risk factor for that. So it starts with, you know, conception stuff and then we look at like growth and development over the actual pregnancy and then those pregnancy outcomes, things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia and, yeah, preterm birth and um, your early rupture of membranes, all of those things, those that increase risks for having an unhealthy microbiome. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned preeclampsia and, and gestational diabetes because they were on the tip of my tongue as well. So Because yeah. they are just seen as being these not not normal but almost some women are being told almost oh yeah it's really common just it's just a thing that happens like we don't know why it happens it's probably uh runs in families and rah 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 and it's like oh my god like there's so many ways that we can influence the that yeah 100% healthy microbiome is the core of of those kind of because we know a microbiome helps to regulate blood sugar control and all of the things about metabolism we know immune response and inflammation and so um you know anytime that there's dysbiosis which is an unhealthy microbiome so the imbalance it causes local inflammation and then that can create um inflammation through the whole body and then it's that's the kind of um mechanism or the imbalance in the body that then relates to all of these other outcomes right it's like inflammation drives disease so it's like microbiome is the thing that modulates that inflammatory response and the immune response and so it's really is the core of all of those different you know potential problems and they're not normal but yes they are very common right because an unhealthy microbiome is really really common yeah yeah it is it's like it's it's yeah, it's incredibly common. Okay, what about breastfeeding? How can a good microbiome help that? Okay, so your breast milk has its own microbiome. So one of the roles of the breast milk microbiome is to look after the health of the breast and the breast tissue, right? So that's also related to outcomes like things like block ducts and milk flow and those kind of things. But also the actual microbiome in the breast milk is what's helping to colonise the baby's gut, right, and also protect from infection and those kind of things. So things like um, the that that breast milk microbiome comes from the rest of the body's microbiome. So it really is looking at that major reservoirs of of bacteria and microbes, which is mostly the gut, but also the oral microbiome and also the reproductive microbiome. 
So these are our reservoirs, right? So that's where your breast milk gets its microbes from. So if you haven't got good ones in the first place, then you're not going to get good ones in your breast milk. And then if you're having things like particularly antibiotics but other interventions, you know, at childbirth or during pregnancy, that's going to really... Um, reduce the amount of good bacteria you've got. And that intrapartum antibiotics, which is antibiotics given at any point over that sort of birth stage, is happening in about uh, or at least 50% of our mums. At least 50% are having intrapartum antibiotics, right? So that doesn't just wipe out the good bugs in your gut, it wipes out the good bugs in the breast milk. So it leaves you for increased risks of, you know, um, you know, poor milk flow or blocked ducts or mastitis is a really big one. So mastitis is is actually an inflammatory condition in the in the breast where the milk's not flowing. So we call it milk stasis. So the milk's not flowing. And then that can lead to infection. So it creates local inflammation and then infection and mastitis is hardcore. So you, we don't we certainly don't want that. So having a healthy breast milk microbiome is one of the things that is going to protect against that inflammation you know we said before about inflammation causing disease and then infection as well oh goodness me all right (laughs) it's that that uh that figure you gave on how many antibiotics are given like it's shocking but also not surprising all Mm. at once yeah Uh, i mean it's let's face it it's every single person who has a cesarean Mm -hmm. plus then everyone who has like a decent sized tear right yeah and yes, GBS is a really of big course. thing. So group B strep is a is a a bug that can live in the um, fecal flora and in the vagina. And so you get swabbed for that at about 36, 37 weeks. And if it shows up, it's it's a it's a common bacteria, but if it's overgrown, it can be problematic and it can pass on to the baby. So they they swab for it. And then if you test positive, regardless of how severe the infection is or how present it is or not, you get big doses of antibiotics. You and baby get them during delivery or birth, and even more so if you get early early rupture of membranes or a prolonged labour or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's certainly that's a very common as well and a lot of, so the, the policy around GBS is pretty full-on in Australia. Different states are different about um, whether they swab or not. Every, not, everybody, not every hospital does. In the UK, they don't even swab for, they don't blanket swab anymore because they did some research and found that it wasn't actually, it wasn't necessarily necessary to give everybody antibiotics just if they test positive for GBS. So I always try and educate my mums to make sure that they know what GBS is and their choices around that. There's some really good resources. Do we have, can we put things in show notes, some resources yep. for mums to yep. have a look at? Absolutely. Yeah. There's some great ones and we've got um, in Australia, um, Sarah, oh, Sarah Wickham's in the UK. But anyway, there's a few others. We'll put them in. Rachel Reed. there's um, a one off the top of my head, um, Melanie the Midwife. She's on Instagram. She's got an amazing website and YouTube channel that has lots of little videos and they're like eight-minute videos and there's one on GBS, there's one on induction, there's one on um, pelvic examinations and, and, like, and it's all research and evidence-based but she speaks in language that we can understand and, she, you know, she speaks to mums. She's really cool. Make sure all my mums go and check out her stuff as well. Yeah, right. God, all right. <laughs> so yeah. talk to me about how the healthy microbiome can influence the bubba once they're out of the womb. Okay, so 
the infant microbiome is super important to all of that all of the infant outcomes. So we know that the microbiome is the thing that's really helping to develop the immature gut. So we always, you know, we have this understanding babies are born with an immature digestive and immune system, right? Everyone kind of knows that. They're actually born with immature everything systems. So all of their systems, I always like example of like, um, you know, their skeletal and their muscular systems are immature because of how floppy they are, you know? And so you go, oh yeah. And they, so we need the microbiome is very much involved in helping to develop that digestive and immune system, but also all the systems like we were talking about before. It helps to regulate metabolism and hormones and central nervous system response and stress response and, you know, neurotrophic, um, so growing neurons and central nervous system stuff. So it's so involved in all the outcomes, right? Um, the One of the biggest things is that immune development and and its its role in developing tolerance over those first few you know first um immune system training stages which is really like it it depends the biggest influence is is breastfeeding over the infant microbiome because you're getting those well not breastfeeding feeding method over that that early stages so that has different impacts on that infant microbiome because breast milk's got the probiotics in there like the good bugs and also the prebiotics which are very specific to that little infant microbiome so if you're in the absence of feeding or the addition of formula you get different prebiotics and free sugars and it kind of changes that infant microbiome and it's it's really one of its major roles is that regulation and that training stage of the of the infant and that totally impacts them for their whole life what do we do if the baby has to have formula because use, for some reason you can't yep. breastfeed? We, yep, we use pre and probiotics. So we make sure that the formulas have got good prebiotics in them or we add the good prebiotics in them. And this is where you really need to get the, help, the advice of a qualified health practitioner to know what are the good prebiotics, what are the age-specific ones, what kind of foods are we looking at when we introduce foods, you know, solids, making sure we've got the right prebiotic foods because prebiotics are the things that feed the, pro- the microbiome, right? The probiotics are the actual live bugs. And we need both of them to have a healthy and robust microbiome. So breastfeeding, it's got breast milk, I mean, has got its own. And if there's if formula, you want to make sure it's good quality formula with those prebiotics in them, or we need to add them to them. And we also add the probiotics in as well. So once Bubba's starting to try out a few foods, what are some good prebiotic foods that you would lead with early, early on? Um, plant foods like veggies, you know, there's your standard, there's actually really good resources now. I remember when I had my kids 20 years ago and I, I fed them farrax and rice cereal. Oh, my God. We all, everyone did. Oh, my everyone God. Did. Like, how did that ever become the thing? A processed rice cereal was the first thing that you fed your baby. Like, what? Anyway, so fruits <laughs> and vegetables. I know. I think there's people still doing that just oh, quietly. Just oh, no, quietly. there is. It's a very well-marketed product, you know, and it is definitely still something. Like, are you still hear some of those older maternal child and health nurses recommending that stuff because it's iron fortified, right? Oh, God, oh, God. (laughs) I know, don't even get me started. Anyway, so no none fortified processed cereals, just straight fruits and vegetables to start with. Um, And this one, the other thing, so everyone gets to four to six months and goes, oh, my baby needs food. 
they don't really need food until six months. So really, ideally, we're exclusively breastfeeding to six months. If not, and if there's been a bit of formula in, introduced, then maybe baby re- might be ready for, for food a bit earlier. But the indicators of being ready for food are things like being able to sit up straight, hold their heads up, they've lost their um, tongue reflex like that pushes out food. So it's not just a lot of people think, oh, if they're watching me eat food, that must mean they're ready. There's other things to look out for. And, and again, it's like this is where, you know, good health practitioners should be able to advise mums, that kind of thing, but standard round six months. But then it doesn't mean that they just start eating food all of a sudden at six months. That six to nine-month period is really a tasting and testing phase where you're trialling different foods and ideally still breastfeeding as, uh, for as long as you can through all that stage. The, the things in the breast milk we talked about before, the probiotics and the prebiotics, they're really protective against infection really, really helping modulate that immune response in the early stages, very, very protective against um, allergies and um, atopy, so eczema and food allergies and that kind of stuff and um, environmental allergens as well. So even if you're having to use some formula as well, keeping on breastfeeding or mixed feeding, even if you're having to pump and feed, you're still getting those um, those specific pre and probiotics through the breast milk, that's going to be very specific for those babies' requirements. So we just definitely encourage that as long as you can. Um, and if not, that when we're doing food, that we're actually just using very, you know, plant-based fruits and veggies, nutrient-dense, organic if you can, you know, and that don't don't stop feeding. It's a very common time for babies to get constipated as well. And one of the main reasons is they just go from a liquid diet to a solid diet too quickly. Mm. Yeah. So start with small meals or once a day and then keeping on the on the uh, the, the liquid food as well. Yeah. At what point would you give a probiotic straight to the bub rather than through the breast milk? Um <sighs> Well, <laughs> depends. <laughs> it depends on the baby. Um, always, if you can, obviously administer via mum, so it's going into the breast milk that way. But once they're on solids, then it would be something that I would certainly consider, but, again, using the right strains and doses that are appropriate for that, that age. But, yeah, I would try to avoid it before six months if you could, but then, you know, uh, if not, I mean, you know, if babies are uh, formula-fed from newborn and they don't get breast milk well we give them a probiotic from from then you know and we know it's and again the appropriate strains and doses are, are only beneficial they're not going to cause any problems there's no side effects to probiotics if you're using the appropriate strains and doses like there are to things like antibiotics you know like so there's not a reason not to use them if you're using the right ones and um and here's the the million dollar question <laughs> what should mum be eating when she's breastfeeding well, it's interesting. I saw some research recently that actually looked at mum's diet and they added more prebiotics in her diet and her prebiotics in her breast milk got better. So oh, that's awesome. I know. And this is the first time they've actually that they've actually looked at that at you know, like actual prebiotics. They certainly looked at a lot of probiotics and that kind of stuff, but so um prebiotics is are in our plant foods, right? So it's like we want to be eating a really rich um, and diverse diet of plant food. So it's not just fruit and veggies, things like nuts, seeds, herbs, spices, you know, legumes, pulses, whole grains. We've got a whole plethora of plant foods and we tend to not eat a variety. We tend to stick to our same, you know, 
standard one. So I always talk about diversity. I always talk about, you know, nuts, seeds, herbs and spices are probably my four favourite because they're really easy to add to what you're already having particularly with mums with newborns or, you know, even if you're pregnant and you've got other kids and whatever, it's hard. It can be difficult to overhaul the whole diet if you're, you know, if you're having a bit of a standard Australian diet and it does need an overhaul. Start with adding those kind of things in to get your diversity. And if you're not a cook and you struggle with cooking, you know, like that can be really difficult to introduce new ingredients and you don't know how to cook them, you know. So I do understand that. That's why I think nuts, seeds, herbs and spices all the way. Every meal and snack can have an, an addition of one of those four things. All right. What's on your shit list, lady? What are the worst foods for our microbiome? Well, sugar. So sugar definitely <clears throat> because it feeds the bad bugs. So sugar and processed foods, anything that breaks down uh, straight into sugar like white white products, you know, like processed flours and cakes and biscuits and those kind of things. So pretty much everything that everyone eats in the third trimester, just saying. Um, <laughs> well, do you know what I find? People eat that more in the first trimester, not so much sugar, like sugar maybe will come in more in the oh. last trimester, but first trimester is when there's nausea and it can oh, be the crack, the crackers and or you the biscuits. Want to eat chips. Yeah. Chips and yep. crackers, and and I, if mums, if my mums are like that, I'm like, just eat it. It doesn't matter. We'll fix you later, you know. But <laughs> don't worry, um, we've got a pill for this. It's all yeah. good. We just um, because when I have had nausea in my two pregnancies, and it was hardcore. It was really hardcore, and I was like, I, it, I had to eat potato chips just to put something in my stomach, and then you know, try and get some vegetables in later. So I do understand that as well. And obviously, again, that would be a good time to go and see a qualified health practitioner because there's lots of stuff we can do to reduce that nausea or how to maximize nutrition. So like, you know, smoothies or you know, like the, these kind of things that if you can just get some in, is better Sneak than some protein in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so we kind of, the, the traditional food that is going to feed the bad bugs obviously is, you know, sugar and processed food and stuff. But it's also, it's lack of fibre. So when you're eating those things all the time, if you're eating toast every day and cereal and, you know, that standard Australian diet, processed cereals and grains, you're not eating vegetables and you're not eating that diversity. So it's like, you know, it's not just don't eat that stuff. You, you can not eat that stuff. You still got to eat the good stuff right? You still got to eat that diversity. So, and I know that um, when, you know, most of our pregnant and breastfeeding mums are not going to be binge drinking alcohol, but (laughs) I always say this because it is a big part of our culture, right? Like Jules and I love a wine and, you know, like it's, but it's, so the binge drinking is the thing that really damages the gut bugs really, really. And so if it's been part of, of, of my my clients, my mums I'm working with, it's been part of their history, we still also take that into account. So it's something that we need to sort of look at as well. Um, yeah, they're the major things that sort of are going to impact and obviously with the medications and stuff we talked about before, that's a big thing. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. How, how far back do you look in a person's case if you're looking for things like drinking? Uh, like, Because, you know, when people decide they're going to have a baby, sometimes they do a little bit of a health 180. They're like, all right, yeah, yeah, I'm going to like cut down on the blah, blah, blah and the yeah. alcohol and rah, 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 and, and then they get pregnant straight away. Yeah, yeah. So how far I back de- do you look? I definitely go all the way back because this is this stage what we're doing is setting up the microbiome of the next human, the next generation, right? So we have to go back to that mum's, the start in her life, like how what was – 
her mum's health like? What did what kind of birth did she have? Did she have antibiotics or many antibiotics as a kid? So we're looking at the robustness and and health and diversity of her microbiome by taking a really thorough case history. So we do we look all of those things and go back. Was she breastfed or was she formula fed? You know, like. Um, and so I'll ask all of that stuff. If I get them from preconception, what I often get is people in third trimester that are going, oh, shit, I need to prepare for birth or, oh, shit, I've got recurring thrush or I've had antibiotics or, you know, and so I often get people at sort of 32 weeks or even later that are going, I've, I keep getting thrush and I know that's bad and I want to have a vaginal birth and, you know, like, and so in that stage, I am just worrying about that acute, you know, what are we going to do in these next few weeks? And that's when I'll use, you know, lots of pre and probiotics and, you know, like pregnancy-friendly treatments, but just to deal with the now. And then once we get over that through that birth and then get breastfeeding happening and then we can worry about that sort of longer-term picture. But, yeah, if I get a chance, I'll definitely consider that whole the whole life of the mum and also the dad, right? So the Oh, those poor forgotten people in the deal. <laughs> I know. So dads are so important and their seminal microbiome. Okay, so we've just started looking this as well. Um, the semen um, uh, has is got its own microbiome. And, again, if he's got infection or dysbiosis or an unhealthy microbiome, that's going to impact impact conception so we need to look at dad and also he's it has an influence over the infant microbiome as well because we share our microbiomes in our families we share them very we're very good at sharing our bugs and so that you know dad's going to be holding bugs he's going to be if anything happens with mum in those early stages and there's any separation through birth we want bugs to go on dad and skin to skin so that's really important. So in that, that first, we call it the golden hour or even the sort of first three hours after birth that you want bubs on your chest. And qu- quite often if there has been a problematic birth, whatever, there could be separation, then, you know, dad needs to be there. And if it's not dad, it can be sister or auntie or someone like that. And so they're, they're still going to be influencing so that everyone needs a healthy microbiome, Jules. Yep, everyone. And, yeah, it's just it's mind-blowing, isn't it, how we – once we're in like a little household unit or family unit, like we're all sharing our bugs. It's yeah. kind of gross and amazing all at the same gross time. And amazing. It's gross and amazing. And then we, we look a little bit further outside our sort of our smaller ecosystem into sort of our communities. And I've, you would have heard the rewilding concept. So how we're, you know, in urban environments, we have a much less diverse microbiome and unhealthier microbiome because we don't have that environmental exposure to this you know to the earth and to the dirt yeah. we don't have any dirt to play in no. it's just concrete yeah so they did this they did this study in um somewhere i can't remember what country that doesn't matter but it was an it was a urban childcare center that was all concrete and so what they did was rewild it and they made it they made planted gardens and they got bees and you know like they really rewilded the whole thing within one month these kids had a more diverse microbiome Holy crap. Going outside and playing in dirt instead of playing on concrete. And so we can do that in our homes as well, right? We can rewild our homes. We can let the kids go outside. We can set up a, you know, for them to play, let them play in the dirt. Getting a pet. Getting a pet has shown because that essentially the pets bring the bugs in from outside, like the soil-based organisms and stuff like that. So having a pet 
living rurally, like all of these things have a really healthy influence on our microbiome. So if we can't live rurally, we can try and create that or we can take the kids to the park and let them go dig in the dirt and stuff like that. Don't be so scared of the germs, you know, like if we need to, that's part of having a healthy microbiome. Did you see there was a report, and, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this completely because I was making dinner while the TV was on and yeah. there was a report on the TV and it was only a few nights ago they were talking about uh, and you know, new danger for new parents. Beware of um, sanitizing the dummies. So they've done studies on sanitized dummies, like because you know when you take the dummy and you like dip it in yeah. this sanit- you know antibacterial mixture and then pop it back in Bob's mouth, mm-hmm. and they've found that the health outcomes weren't as good. There was some specific issue uh, regarding this, but then if you just wash the dummy in hot water or put it in mum or dad's mouth before mm. putting it back in the baby's mouth, that was fine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they've now got this connection with like this antibacterial concoction that people yeah. are putting on the dummies and saying, oh, it may not be so good for the child. And then I'm just thinking, holy shit, it's 2021 and we've spent one year just dousing ourselves with yeah. hand sanitizer from top to toe yeah. and every naturopath for the last 12 months has silently been thinking in the back of their mind, what is going to be the outcome of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's the hygiene hypothesis from the 80s and 90s, you know, like we, we already know that that over-sterilisation was one of the things that contributed to having a lack of diversity in our, you know, generations after that, our lack of diversity in our microbiome and that that, comp- that also um, compiled with antibiotics and lack of breastfeeding and all of these things that are really you know, um, intervening in the setup of the infant microbiome, it's just changed that our Western populations have the worst diversity in our microbiomes. Diet, lifestyle, birth interventions, like a breastfeeding, those kind of things, antibiotics, we have just the most ridiculous use of antibiotics. Um, Other drugs like acid inhibitors, hugely effective in that microbiome. So we give, so I'm talking about drugs like, um, you know, Nexium and Losec and these kind of things, and they give these to babies that have got reflux, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a major is- issue with using protein pump inhibitors and acid inhibitors in babies. Yep, me too. There's not, there's not a lot of evidence around it. The, the actual evidence says it's not any more effective than placebo, yet it is handed out like any baby that shows any slight sign of reflux or colic or something like that, will, you know, particularly reflux will be given this, you know, prescription for these um, antacids. And it's That's just, fucking scary. I'm uh, sorry. I'm calling it. criminal. It's scary. It kills me. And th- yeah. I, there are some certain cases that babies have got silent reflux and they, they can benefit from a short term, but it's very, very few and far between that that's, that is actually a warranted medicine. And they just, so many babies have it. And the like research now, we know, we look at colic and reflux and cow's milk protein allergy and all of these things, they're totally related to having an unhealthy microbiome. Yeah. The risk factors for having those conditions, if you've had antibiotics, are huge. And it's because antibiotics impact the microbiome of the mum and the baby and her breast milk and then breast milk feeding outcomes and all of those things. So it's like it's this perfect storm of poor, poor little bub's gut just being already dysbiotic from the beginning you know and they almost don't have a chance and then they put this pp on top of that and it just causes problem after problem after problem so i'm a huge fan of um, getting onto it early if we can 
getting those right probiotics in and and getting better breastfeeding outcomes is our is our goal, right? So we want to also start that early. We have pretty shitty breastfeeding rates in Australia, but we have really shitty support services and we have really shitty understanding of um, how to do breastfeeding. So one of the things, one of the other things I always talk to my mums about is, yes, they'll have a birth plan and I'm just going to um, put a plug here for um, birth maps. So there's a woman, her, her name's Catherine Bell and her Insta is birth mapping at birth mapping um her website anyway she's got this incredible book right and so she's doing a phd study in having a birth map as opposed to a birth plan and it's just more fluid and it's really cool amazing resource um but we also need to have a breastfeeding plan we also need to have a breastfeeding preparation because we have this birth preparation a lot of people are doing you know hypnobirthing calm birth or all of these things or having you know a doula or whatever but we don't have a breastfeeding a breastfeeding plan. So ABA, that's one of our best resources. The Australian Breastfeeding Association, they have um, courses that you can do. You can actually do a face to face, or you can do online. Um, see if you can watch someone breastfeeding. That's a really good tip. Maybe don't creep on someone in the park. <laughs> Maybe just don't sidle up <laughs> to them at the shopping centre. And, and go, and just look <laughs> over their shoulder, see if you can see some boob and okay, some okay. sucking action. No. <laughs> if you've got a friend or, you know, a family member or something, because this is the thing. It, it used to be so normal, this is what you did, right, whereas now it's abnormal. And the first time you're feeding your baby, your first baby is probably the first time you've ever seen what breastfeeding looks like. So also do some research around that you know like have a look watch some youtube do all that have a support person in place for when if shit goes wrong because quite often you don't have good support there's there's some really good models in in our you know in our healthcare system that do well at this but not many that everyone has a um has a an appointment with a lactation consultant, you know, in some certain places. Wangaratta is one of these places. They have a breastfeeding centre next to the hospital. Every single mum on and when she gets um, goes home from hospital, she gets a, an appointment with a lactation consultant and, you know, and, and has that support or someone you can call. So I really also encourage have those resources in place before you have the baby know your local lactation consultant or know, you know, have read, look at ABA website and have, you know, do the courses. There's another one, um, Milky Business Lactation. She's on um, Instagram as well. She's got a really cool online course as well and some resources. If you have a good care model, so our best outcome care model is midwifery continuity of care, right? And what that means is that you have the same midwife that looks after you from pregnancy all the way through birth and then and then in those early stages as well. That model isn't available to many people in Australia. That we know how good that model is and how that outcomes for mum and baby, but it's not always available. So personally, I I used private midwives so I could have that that model. So I had private midwives that did my antenatal care at home, came to hospital and birthed with me, and then did my aftercare as well. And I had amazing, empowering incredible birth experiences because of that I'm sure um but so you don't always have access to that so it's like making sure you've got somebody you can trust if it's not that continuity model you still need to have the trust with your healthcare provider so I've had stories of mums that have you know they're with an OB or or you know and the obstetrics model is a little bit different to midwifery it's very much designed on getting the baby out alive so the now, not all obstetricians are like that, and I'm certainly not dissing the whole profession, but 
that's a lot of what my experiences are. So, and I've had moms that have gone, oh, yeah, I'm with this OB and I, I don't really like them. And I'm like, well, don't stay with them. Go and find someone else. You don't have to stay with your care provider. If you don't gel with them, then find someone that you do. Or if you don't like the obstetrics model, then go look for a midwife or find a private midwife or find a doula or someone like that. And so find somebody that you trust because you need someone to advocate for you when you're, if you're birthing in our in our current system because it's got some holes in it and home birth is a great option as well if that's something that you know mums want to consider the research around home birth is it's just as safe for baby outcomes there's no safety issues compared to having a hospital birth and having a home birth for your low risks um and it's better for mum outcomes hundred times better for mum out times than the hospital birth. So definitely if that's and something that you're interested in, there's some really good resources like um, the Home Birth Australia is a really great organisation that you can tap into and you can find if there's a home birthing midwife near you. That are Medicare are now doing some home birth, some, you know, supported home birth models. But you, Really? Yeah, yeah. Finally. So, wow. Yeah. So in Victoria there's a couple only and you have to live within a certain you know, kilometre radius distance, yeah. of certain hospitals and there's certain obstetricians that will attend to home birth and there's certain midwives that will do it. Private, there's there's more options around private midwives doing home births and, yeah, but just it's it's got this kind of, I don't know, this, um, you know, this sort of, um, I don't know, what's the right word? I can't think of it at the moment. I'm having a mind blank. But a lot of people think that it's unsafe or there's, you know. Yeah, or that real sort of crunchy granola hippie connotation yeah, to it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, Gw- Gwyneth would do one. Yeah. Um. No, it's, so, <laughs> it's so not like that. So there's a movie uh, out at the moment called Birth Time. And so put this in Birth Time World is, what, is on Instagram. So Birth Time's just come out it's this incredible documentary and it's really about that midwifery continuity of care model or just the continuity of care model with a with a health provider that you trust and um it's a a midwife a couple of midwives and um a birth photographer and another lady who had had really shitty birth experiences and then had a home birth she used to be on an australian tv show i can't remember her name but she's an australian actress and so they made this they, they got together and went you know, our maternity care system is shit. We need to change it. So they went on the road and just went around Australia and interviewed all these people. And it's such an incredible film that it's produced so well. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you cry, but it's a really powerful film. And so it's going, it's won 22 awards already globally, but it's it's really about having this conversation and getting it out so that mums know their choices and, you know, and what 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 services are out there. So I'm hosting a community screening of it in a couple of weeks, local to me on the Mornington Peninsula, but um, it's everywhere. So go have a look online and look it up. And if you can find a local screening near you, it's a really, really good film to support and, and just to watch as well as, as an empowering kind of, you know, uh, tool for yourself if you haven't had your bubs yet. Yeah. It really sounds like from from what you're saying today, like I'm sitting here thinking the system is disjointed and broken and it can be a little bit of a lottery as to whether you get what you need or not because a lot of women would go into this not even knowing what they don't know what they don't know. Like it's hard to find the information. It's hard to know who to trust when you're looking online for answers and it's it's hard to find the right people mm-hmm. to to get on your team because you don't necessarily, especially if it's your first baby, you don't know what you're looking for. Yeah. And so 
what what you're you know from what you're saying it sounds like there are people out there who are working very very hard and advocating very very well to repair this broken system or to give women options outside that regular system where they can have a supported home birth or a safe home birth and have the right people attend and rah, 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 um, or to, you know, to have a hospital birth that is, is one that's going to be empowering and healthy and safe for them uh, with the minimal amount of interventions if that's what they want. But it still sounds to me like a lot of people figure this out for their second baby because of what happened with their first. Yeah, totally. This is what you see all the time and it's like I... Um, they're just not not informed. So not not informed, and then that ends up being can you know translate or end up being a disempowered experience. And it's and and that whole sort of modern obstetrics and and our maternity care system really. It's not even just that. It's like women women in that connection with their body. Like look at how common it is to have, or or how commonly it's thought or normal it's thought to have issues with your periods or painful periods or, mm. you know, have postmenopausal issues or, you know, how common are hysterectomies and all of this kind of stuff because women's bodies don't work, yeah. Mm. So it's the same kind of philosophy comes through into obstetrics and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear of birth. There's a lot of, you know, things like induction, like we have a 40% induction rate and rising, right, and 10 to 15% of them are for genuine medical reasons. So that's a very, very big gap that's a non-medical reason of, of getting induced. And so that's bringing in and in synthetic hormone and inducing labour when you're potentially not ready. There's issues about term. What is term? You know, like 40 weeks and people start to get pressured at 39 weeks that they're going too late or, the, you know, 40, 40 plus 2, you know, 42 weeks plus 6 can be normal, which is, you know, a lot longer than that. Yeah, there's a and oh, geriatric pregnancies. Don't get me started on that. Anyone <laughs> after thirty six is considered geriatric, which is the worst name they've ever it's named a thing awful. in the history of naming things. In the history of naming things, it is the worst name ever. And I had a really good friend who was having her. She was forty two, so she was immediately geriatric. She was super healthy. It was her second baby. She, well, I went to gym with her, and we used to work out together. And she used to do the same stuff I did until you know, like late in her pregnancy so so fit and she was under the care of an obstetrician and he just said to her so when you get to 39 weeks we'll induce you and then she came to me at gym and she was like oh we oh, have to get induced at 39 weeks I'm like no you don't you don't have to and she was like well that's what he said and I go you don't have to so it wasn't even presented to her as a choice right so I said you go back to him and you question that so she did thank god we had this conversation right so she goes back and she goes oh, I don't want to be I think oh, I don't want to be induced. Do I have to be? And he goes, oh, oh, you want to go to term? And this is her reporting of the story. I'm not making up his attitude like voice, but, oh, you want to go to term? What's your body? <gasps> right? So she chose because I empowered her and I helped her and, we, you know, she knew that she'd be okay. She did chose, choose to go to term, but, and she was fine. And she went into spontaneous labour and it was all fine. And she did go past 39 weeks. She went to 40 weeks and that, and, and she had a, an amazing birth, very empowering, very good breastfeeding experience, all of those things. If she had been induced at 32 weeks, at 39 weeks, it could have been a totally different outcome. 
because induction can be the beginning of the, the cascade of intervention is what we call it. Because if you're not ready for labour, it doesn't matter how much oxytocin it gives you, you don't have receptors in your uterus that are going to respond to it and that's why a lot of the time it doesn't work. So, yeah, that's another thing I get a bit cross about is that third time we Emma's Emma's soapbox. Sorry. I'll stop now. I'm really no, no. talking about microbiome, but anyway, I get mad because I've heard this story so many times and there's this coercion into and this fear placed in women that, oh, if you don't have, you, you know, if you don't get induced at 39 weeks, you're endangering your baby because you, like, your pregnancy is going over term. Terms always been forty weeks or more. Like it's it's yeah. Mm. Let's move on. Let's move yeah, on. And it's it's all in the language, isn't it? It's yes. the way that it's presented to people. It, yeah. it when they come away going, oh, this is what I have to do. This is yeah. what everyone has to do. It's yeah. like, oh, wait a minute, no, it's not. But then even the way he said, you know, like, oh, it's your body. That was also disempowering. That also didn't make her feel secure in her choice to go to term. You know, like. Anyway, so, yeah, I think uh, having a good support person and someone that you gel with is really, really important. So coming back to that, that's the key message. Make sure that you've got, you know, a, a healthcare practitioner that you trust and that supports your values and, your, and what you want your outcomes to be. Mm. All right, let's, let's reel it all back in a little bit, back to gut health. So given all of that that you've just said and keeping all of that in mind, if you could jump in as Emma Park nutritionist and and get that information to women about what they needed for better gut health and better outcomes in terms of microbiome for both themselves and Bob, when would you jump in and intervene? What would you intervene with? Would you do diet? Would you do probiotics? I do both. Definitely do both. But I do Diet is cornerstone and diet is the biggest intervention that we have over the microbiome hands down. But we can't wait for diet to work if we've got a really messed up microbiome. So we've got to jump in with those pre and probiotics. So I use prebiotics as much as I use probiotics and I use very specific strains of probiotics at different times through pregnancy or conception or, you know, third trimester if we're preparing or we're preventing GBS infection or if we're treating, you know, thrush or something like that. So if we're working with vagina microbiome more, we've got specific, specific bugs. If we're working with preventing allergy and or even preventing postnatal depression, those kind of things, we've got some great strains that work there. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'll be using all of those three things. And also lifestyle because the other thing we haven't talked about today is stress and how much that impacts the microbiome. So that's that's a whole other topic, but it has huge impacts on the microbiome. We know that. Jules is your stress expert, but um, (laughs) massive impacts on gut health and microbiome. So I always am talking to mums about stress. Um, And also with babies that are, if there's been birth trauma or if mums are stressed, that will come out in, in bubs as, you know, like stress bubs. So you're very wired together in those early stages. Talk heaps and heaps about things like um, delayed cord clamping and skin to skin in that in those early stages and not having other people in the room, not washing. So don't wash your chest so that babies can, and um, baby-led attachment so that the babies actually find the nipple themselves. And there's all these great, amazing things that really if you know about them, then your chances of having a better experience are really heightened. So these are all the kind of things I talk 
turn out. Yeah, so that went on a bit. There's not one thing that I can <laughs> that I could prioritize, but I would say, you know, diet, pre and probiotics, and then lifestyle stuff is really important. And when it comes to probiotics, and I know this is your zone of genius, and and you know, we did say earlier that you do work for a specific practitioner only probiotic uh, mm. company, or it's not practitioner. It's only, not practitioner only. No, no, anyone can get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you know, you're you're not just Emma who works for Kiara. You're also Emma, the nutritionist. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I work in private practice as well, and I certainly yeah. don't only use that probiotic. And and even in the education that I do for health professionals with that company, I talk about other probiotic strains yeah. because they let me because they're a great small Australian company and, and I've been with them for a really long time. And I did say to them when, because we do accredited education for midwives, I was like, these midwives need to know which probiotics for when and what application. And our research is about breastfeeding. It's not about GBS and it's not about atopy and, you know, and postnatal depression. So there's other strains that have got better research for that and we need to be educating about that. We want our mums to have better outcomes and sometimes that's not the only strain. So, yeah, and that's, it's really That's cool. bloody awesome, seriously. It's that's your collaborative unique. business model. Yes, right, and it's pretty <laughs> unique and I'm really, really lucky that I kind of pushed for that at the start. And, I mean, one of the reasons was is that it made our research look very, this is how I got across the line, you know, like our, the Kiara research, research on that strain for breastfeeding outcomes is very strong, you know, and it's not another strain that's had, that shows that maternal transfer and the um, mastitis and maternal transfer means if mums take it it gets into breast milk so there's not many strains that do that so that's why you know that's the strain that you want to be on for breastfeeding but it's not necessarily the one the best one for gbs or for atopy or for postnatal depression so yeah we use lots of different ones yeah so can you just quickly explain in the last sort of 10 years or so there's been a massive shift in the world of probiotics. Like when we came out of college uh, and, and when, you know, way back when like the only probiotic around was like lactobacillus acidophilus and then there was good old bifidobacterium popped his head up and that was it for a very long time. And I think that some of the over-the-counter probiotic supplement companies still want you to believe that they're old-fashioned probiotic is the one that just fixes everything and if yeah. you've got a tummy problem you just take this particular probiotic and butter being you're better but we now know that that is not the case and that some probiotic strains can actually make a problem worse while other strains have come along that are more specific to different issues so can you uh, just kind of expand on that a little bit for me yeah, totally. So I think one of the things what we've seen with probiotics used clinically, like about 30 years ago, it was that what you're saying, multi-strain, big doses, bomb the gut, we reseed the gut with probiotics and then you're good to go. And that that's not how they work at all clinically. Like they actually don't even reseed, they don't repopulate, they have beneficial transient effects. And then we went from this sort of that model of big strains, multi, I mean multi-strains, big doses to specific strains for specific applications and I think we've been there for the last decade or so and then I think what we're seeing now in the shift in in research or, or clinical application is mechanism of action so the really good strains have got lots of different mechanisms of action so that when you put them in the body they do lots of great things like uh, you know uh, depending on where you want them to work and what you want them to do. You know, they need to be able to move around the body. They need to be able to repair the lining of our either our vagina, 
you know, epithelial lining or our gut lining for if people with leaky gut, they need to be able to modulate the immune response and need to be able to, you know, protect against infection, all of these great things that probiotics can do. So I think the standout strains now, the ones that we're really using are these ones that have these multiple mechanisms and they're really robust. So they, but we don't need big doses. This is the thing. All of the strains and stuff that I'm using these days, we don't need big doses. They just have these gentle but very effective mechanisms when you put them into the human host which is us and yeah we have these great you know we can get really great out clinical outcomes with them so i think they're a really great medicine and they are medicine you know like they're really 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 effective but we need to have and the other big thing i think is important is um quality so quality is super important so quality of manufacture excipients so excipients are things that they get mixed with man, you should see some of the crap that are in some of those products, you know, that are given to kids and it's it's hideous. So, again, that's I'm very specific about quality and excipients, especially in this life stage, especially when we're talking about babies developing their immune systems and stuff. We don't want to be putting crappy corn-based gluten, you know, all of these other kind of excipients in. It's really bad. So, yeah, anyway. Um, that they're, they're the kind of things that we're looking for. You know, we're looking for really quality probiotics that have these proven mechanisms of action that we're going. We know we're going to work at low doses, and we know we're going to benefit lots of different things. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. If you're if you're just popping down to the health food shop and you're grabbing something off the shelf, it may or may not be the right thing for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely go for quality. Definitely talk to someone before you buy it. You know, talk yeah. to a, a qualified practitioner. Good health food shops will have a naturopath on the floor that knows yeah. this stuff, you know. So. And the great thing is, I have to say, because sometimes people go, oh, naturopaths in health food shops, what do they know? Uh, because often they are newbies. But do you know what? Newbies learned this shit last week, yeah. right? They are fresh out of college. And this is why I love having a few newbies around. Like we've got, we've got newbies in our dispensary practice as well. Mm-hmm. They literally learned it last week. So sometimes I, I always think there are, there are some practitioners that get a bit set in their ways. And sometimes you go and find yourself a newbie practitioner who has just come fresh out of college they will have the latest information and often the the best information because they've they're up to date and yeah. they 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 haven't let it slide. So, yeah, sometimes like I, I know some people kind of go, oh yeah, naturopaths in health food shops, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes that's where some of the top brains in our industry start out. Yeah, and yeah. Also, and if they're also at it. Yeah, totally. And if you're just going to go get one anyway, then you're going to get some kind of advice that you weren't going to have before, you know. And yeah. and also they they want to learn, you know, that the newbies also they're keen to learn. So they're doing all the webinars and seminars and all of that stuff. And it's a very yeah. dynamic. So the probiotic field is very dynamic. There's heaps. The whole microbiome field is very dynamic. Microbiome yeah. in pregnancy and breastfeeding and reproduction is super dynamic. Like it's the, we didn't even know a decade ago that breast milk had its own microbiome. They thought breast milk was sterile. No one had bothered to look. Right? But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. So wrong. Yeah. And even that, the your placental microbiome, all that stuff, it's like it, it's a really um evolving field. And it but it but but we do have enough research for, for using them um clinically and, and improving outcomes. One hundred percent hands down, we do. And that's the thing. If if you're asking for help, whether it's a, a naturopath or a nutritionist in private practice or someone in a health food shop or a friend of a friend, whatever 
if you say to them, okay, I, I'm pregnant or I'm, I've just had a baby and I'm looking for a good probiotic, I think you'll know you're onto a good thing if they then ask more questions before recommending a product. If they say, what do you want to achieve or what are your specific health concerns or what, you know, what are the outcomes? If they ask questions, then you know that they've been trained in this new way. But if, if you say, oh, I've just had a baby and, uh, or I'm pregnant and I want a good probiotic, I mean, if they don't ask those questions, then maybe they haven't delved into the depths of it all yet. So I don't know. I could be wrong, yeah. but that's how I would judge it. No, no, it. totally. I think it's really, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to look at it as well. And it's like you can, you know, get someone that's listening to you and hearing you and asking you questions. So, mm. yeah. Sure. All right. All right, my love. All right, cool. um, so tell us about your program because now that you've thrown all those things out there and gone down so many rabbit holes and so many tangents in about an hour that we've been talking, uh, I know that you bring all of this together in one big, beautiful program that has been your very passionate work from the last few years. And I was so freaking excited when you first brought this out. Like, I'm so bloody proud of you, seriously. Um, It's called The First 1000 Days. It is amazing. Can you share a little bit about this? Sure, no worries. So it's um, The First 1000 Days, the name, it's the point, it's conception to the first two years old. So uh, when the baby's two years old. So it's really that crucial time when we're establishing the microbiome. So I was driven to put this course together because I knew there were so many mums that weren't getting this information so uh, originally it was just going to be about the microbiome but then I it was there's these two friends of mine at the time that were but I wasn't treating them so they'd sort of come to me right at the end with these questions and I was like oh you're so disempowered you know like this is well I need to put some of that stuff in the program as well so it, it covers the what to do with the microbiome all the way through from conception to two years it's there's eight modules and uh, yeah it's, it's really thorough um, it's kind of big. It's for the mums. It's yeah. It got much bigger than I thought, but it's, it's actually a really cool program. It's, it's big, but not overwhelming. Can we no, just can we just say it's it's, yeah. it's done into installments so that you don't get overwhelmed, mum? Yes, totally. But it's going to give you everything you need to know about the microbiome, but also about how to prepare for pregnancy as well, and heaps and heaps of resources. So I've you know um, interviewed a lot of those the practitioners that were that I've talked about today. So there's some expert interviews in there. So there's lots of cool stuff. Um, yeah, so it's, that's, a, that's a package for mums. There's also ones for health professionals. So if there is any health professionals listening, you can do um, CDP accredited modules as well. So, And I'm just in the process of putting it onto a new website and I'm going to do a podcast, the first 1,000 Days podcast. <laughs> and I'm also going to do a mini microbiome masterclass so that there is a bit of a smaller one for people that just want to talk about microbiome because they've already got their birth support worker and that kind of stuff sorted. So I'm pl- my t- intention is to make it a really well-rounded education platform that's got every level of, of information for mums about this microbiome in the first 1,000 days. And so, yeah, so that's it's all available now. The course is available now and um, it's there's going to be well, – there's also some e-books. There's a couple of e-books about probiotics as well. So there's an e-book for mums and one for health professionals and it talks about all those different strains that we talked about for the different things, when to take them, which products and where to get them from and all of that stuff as well. So that's a pretty good resource too. If you just want to learn about the probiotics and when to take them, 
then you can certainly just go in and it's just a, it's an ebook that's you know easy. Amazing, and that's what I love about you, mate. Is you you can speak to lay people, you speak to midwives, you speak to nutritionists, you speak to doctors, you speak to everyone in between, and every and and you have a way of of distilling the information and making it really easy to understand no matter which level you're at and I think that's a bloody amazing thing not everyone can do that Mm, cool thank you yeah I do get that feedback as well and I do and I I mean I just love education I love educating I love empowering people I love seeing that you know come to fruition as well like when my mum's have empowered births and I you know get that message I have the little baby everything's going well breastfeeding you know like it's yeah it's awesome it's really it's really rewarding but and the same as if I get that feedback from health professionals that were like, oh, man, I learned so much out of that module. That was so cool. It's like, yeah, yeah it's really good. Amazing. And may I just say welcome to the podcaster family soon. Yeah, no, right. it's been on my list of things to do since last year and I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to record a series. I probably don't even, I don't think I'm even going to interview people first. I'm just going to record some stuff so there's that resource then and then I'll go and do a second series where I interview some more of these people that are in that first 1,000 days program and then it's there for free for people as well. So Amazing. All right. Where can people connect with you online? Uh, So Emma Park Nutritionist is my um, private practice website, so Emma Park Nutritionist whatever that is, .com.au. My Insta is Emma Park Nutritionist. My Facebook is Emma Park Nutritionist. So you should be able to find me, no worries. And then the the um, the first 1,000 days has its own website as well, but there's links to that from my website. It does have its own Insta page, but I'm not very good at putting information on there at this point, but I'm going to get better at that. Um, and that's, the I think, the first 1,000 days with an underscore somewhere. But just it's all linked from my either my Insta or my website, so they're probably the best ones to do. And and um, my Insta food stories, people really love as well. And what you were yes, saying, yes, seriously, feedback about that. So I do a lot of oh food, my god, easy whole food cooking posts, and I just take photos of what I'm cooking, and then I'll post it the next day with instructions. And yeah, it's really cool. I get really good feedback about that, and I do, and that's so rewarding as well to see that I'm you know people go on I just think about you and I go I'm not going to get take I'm just going to cook some vegetables and I'm going to put something with it and then it's going to be really easy and yeah so I do a lot of that as well yeah the color and the diversity of the whole foods that you eat at home is bloody sensational seriously like I love your insta stories so much oh thanks yeah I do I like I like sometimes I go I just want to cook and not take photos and then it's funny but you know I just love sharing it and I love inspiring people, so it's cool. We definitely do just that. Emma Park, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom with us today and thank you for empowering people at all levels of all of this birth uh, and and breastfeeding process, whether it's professionals or lay people and and helpers and everyone in between. Uh, Thank you for everything you do in the world and may it continue for a lot longer. Thanks, Jules, and thanks for having me. I'm I'm really thrilled to get invited to come on. I hope you enjoyed listening to Straight Talking Natural Health. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free quiz on there to see if you're at risk of burnout. 
I also have an amazing ebook called Heal Your Adrenals, which is a must for any woman with adrenal dysfunction, aka adrenal fatigue. When I'm not podcasting, I'm seeing clients all over the world via Zoom. I love working with fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmunity, pyrrole disorder, mold illness, and complex cases, to name just a few. So why not book in and let's work together? All of this and more is available right now over at JulesGalloway.com. That's all from me for the time being. I look forward to diving in with you again in the next episode. Bye for now. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.